Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn here alongside media executive and currently a disoriented, disheartened, and quite frankly, disturbed longtime Chelsea supporter for the last few years. We've Last few days, we've been waving smelling salts in front of his face to keep him from passing out. Uh, Grail Hallett is here, as always, and uh, uh, the OTB producer, a young man who is uh, so myopically focused on Syria uh, that he even dreams in Italian of Sophia Loren. Do you, do you even know who that is? <laughs> Grail, yeah, of yeah, course. That, that, oh, yeah. We, we do, but Sam hey, knows who Sophia Loren is. Yeah, sure. of course. Yeah. Hey, well, today on the show, we have uh, Craig Burley from ESPN FC, former Scottish international. It's always great to uh, catch up with Craig. He's got uh, great stories and uh, just a lot of fun to talk to. Um, you know, and it was funny, guys, because I was. I was uh, watching uh, Twitter yesterday, as we do. We watch the Twitter feed, and they, people just saying that he stayed home from work because, uh, you know, Manchester United won or some crazy stuff. It's like people think it's just so funny what people think. But one of the things that I thought was interesting when I was over at ESPN, one of my favorite movies is So I Married an Axe Murderer. You guys ever seen it? Yes. No. No, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that, but yes, I have. Oh, it's a, it's a funny, it's a Mike Myers movie, and I yes. bought. I bought Craig Burley and Stevie Nickel that movie when I was at ESPN for Christmas and Burley didn't even open it. And Stevie Nickel said he watched the first five minutes. He's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like, oh my God, it was so over the top. Scottish humor was hysterical. It was moronic. Let's leave it at that. So they were over that. What are you guys over today on Over the Ball? Sam, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll build off actually what you were over last week, Kevin, which was the offsides thing and the fact yeah. that they they let those plays go on a little bit too right. long. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm gonna say that if they're gonna do that, I think refs need to stop calling the kind of instinctive foul bailing out a defender when they get stripped of the ball on a really weak foul. I mean. Feel like we see this a lot you know a defender gets a little bit caught in possession yeah. shields the ball the forward pokes it away it's probably not a foul but the defender gets the benefit of the doubt about 99 percent of the time uh so i feel like if we're going to let these offsides run and then call them back then let's let these plays run too and if there was really a foul the var can pull it back interesting all right so, I know that happened a couple times in games i was watching this weekend and said yeah, okay so, yeah. grail i'm over uh managerial changes at chelsea Oh boy! I'm just leaving it. I'm just leaving it at that. I'm, Every year and I'm, a half. I'm done. I'm done. Let's just stick. Let's stick with something, even if it's a, a corpse or something. Mourinho's three it, years, and uh, let's just keep it there. The eighteen, eight, months, eight, so. 18 months, and then of course they signed Thomas uh, Tuchel to an eighteen-month contract. Of course they did, because nothing lasts more than eighteen months at Chelsea. So come on, let's just stick. Let's stick with some plan, please. So, uh, all right, well, let's talk about that. If we're talking a little bit about uh, Premier League here and the machinations going on, um, talk about this NBC uh, Sports Channel being taken off the air at the end of 2021, Grail. Yeah, so just, I'll just do very top line. So NBC Sports Network, uh, which basically has been around since 2009, it was formerly the Outdoor uh, Life Network, and then it was Versus, and then Comcast bought NBC and they changed the name. Um, yeah, it's a big deal. They've decided to go all in on uh, Peacock and the USA Network, which is also part of the Comcast family. So they're going to basically shift all the programming over to that. Uh, the channel will no longer exist. Obviously, they save a lot of money doing that. And they're just betting because, you know, the ESPN pluses of the world and the Disney pluses of the world are making a lot of money 
on a monthly basis for these uh, streaming services. And, they and that's that. the plan. I mean, the thing that's a little tricky is that you've got the NHL contract expiring at the end of this year for NBC Sports Network. And then you have the Premier League contract expiring at the end of 22. And the question is, will those leagues be interested in a uh, in signing a deal with somebody that now doesn't have its own channel, but well, has USA Network and its yeah. own Peacock yeah, yeah. streaming service. So it's, it's, it's a risk, but you know, they make $4.99 a month per subscription for Peacock. They've obviously shifted a lot of games over there. We always complain about it because it forces you to right. buy the That's service. That's where the is going. So, but yeah, it's 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 where it's going. It's just it's going to have really interesting ramifications. And um, again, I think you know maybe NBC has just decided that they're probably going to let the NHL contract go. And I, I hope they don't let the Premier League go because I think they do a great job. And, and by the way, guys, even though it's just shifting to Peacock and USA Network, which they're going to have to rebrand in some way to get people there, they still will have to produce what we're seeing, right? So the show that we see with the two Robbies and uh, and uh, Rebecca Lowe that run on Peacock, those will still need to be produced. So it's not like those are going away. It's just a different platform. The English broadcasters doing in the American broadcast, yes, that we talk about every week. You know what my concern is, though? I remember Fox Soccer World, and yeah. I was a host of that channel for a while. It was Fox Soccer World. Then it, be, it was then their soccer games were so successful, it became Fox Soccer Channel. And then that became so successful, it grew and grew, and then they got rid of it. And we don't see as much soccer as we uh, wanted to anymore. Or the, we the one, the, yeah, the one advantage of a streaming service versus a channel is you can have unlimited content, right? With a channel, you have 24 hours in a day and you have to program it accordingly. Right. With a streaming service, you can have unlimited. I mean, ESPN right now is nine channels that they put their various content across on TV. Yeah. You know, with, with ESPN Plus, they can have as much of anything as they want on ESPN plus. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Okay. So uh, we'll keep our eye on that one because that's where we're watching most of our football. So, um, all right, let's talk national team. They play this Sunday. Burhalter invited 25 players into camp for the friendly against TNT Trinidad Tobago um, nine senior players. I was surprised. I saw uh, Josie was in there. He's going to get mm -hmm. a look, I guess. I think that's more about not what kind of player Josie is obviously at this stage of his career, but whether he fits in with the guys, um, you know, with these newer players, what are your thoughts, fellas? I think, I think it's a leadership thing. Yeah. I, I think they want to have his experience in that locker room and uh, by all measures, Josie's supposed to be a really nice guy and a good mentor. And I think, you know, even if he's not going to get a ton of playing time, but then again, he may because they don't really I don't have know, a number man. nine. I mean, yeah, we, we don't who's playing have the nine a, position. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the experience is great, but I still think we need a striker and he's oh, yeah, totally our do. best option. I mean, sure, we got Hoppe scoring goals over uh, with Schalke, but that's too know. early there. Burhalter mentioned him, didn't he, in some of his comments? He was a little like pump the brakes. I mean, he was like, yeah, of course I've seen him and he's really impressive. But again, these are a few games and we have to see the whole body of work to make any. Yeah. Draw and any these guys are young. He's yeah. got 16 under 23s on the squad. So yeah. uh, that should be interesting to watch. He also sees an upside for Jordan Morris and the loan to Swansea. I think we all see that really. I think that's, that's a very positive move. Jordan, I think had the chance to go to the Bundesliga right out of college, you know, out of Stanford. I think he was a sophomore there when he left mm -hmm. after they won the national championship. Um, so I think, I think that's a good move for him to play at Swansea a little bit. And then um, 
Tuchel coming to, to Chelsea. It's hard to bring up Chelsea so early. You know, it's, it's funny, Sam. Usually he brings it up, but I'm going to bring it up this time. But uh, I mean, that's probably going to be a good influence for Pulisic, I think. Well, yeah, because Tuchel managed him at uh, Dortmund, so they have a familiarity. And then obviously, you know, Tuchel is a German with Werner and Havertz. You would think there would be a good connection there, but uh, but we'll see. You know, I, I always thought Pulisic and Lampard had a good relationship, so. Well, so who knows? Who knows? There's so much speculation about the all the intrigue and stuff that I, I don't know what to believe. Well, you and I were talking about that before we got on the air, yeah. but I think I think people said they he groomed Pulisic to bring him along. I think he played so well that really had no choice. I mean, it was a lot of pressure, and he was putting the ball in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. Um, other Americans, uh, McKenny, you want to talk about him? I think you saw him play, uh, Sam. Yeah, he had another really good game for Juve and has kind of become the the top midfielder right now, uh, which is pretty awesome. Pretty Great fun news. to see. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a a funny story that, that came out this week in the Italian press about how he was discovered at Schalke. And apparently the um, Juve sporting director, uh, Fabio Paratici, was bored during lockdown and started watching Bundesliga <laughs> games because it was the the first league back and all there was on TV. And uh, that's how he picked up on him. So that was kind of cool. But um, building off that, uh, this is a move that has kind of been in the works for a little while. But Brian Reynolds, the 19-year-old uh, FC Dallas fullback, yeah. uh, has uh, finalized a deal with Roma. He'd been mentioned um, with Juventus too, but uh, apparently he's going to get there tomorrow and sign a four-and-a-half-year contract. Wow. Uh, the fee's about €7 million. Euro. So I... I don't know if this is a guy they've had their eye on for a long time or if this is a little bit the, the Weston McKenney effect already, uh, you know, showing up in City A, but um, cool story. Well, I tell you, it's interesting. Dallas has produced a lot of young players, um, you know, in their, in their development program. So uh, that's, that's, that's good stuff. The U.S. women played, again, uh, beat Columbia 6-0. Um, our friend over at Soccer America, Bo Dewar, wrote an article uh, comparing them to sort of like, what are these games all about? Grail, you read that one? Yeah, well, and I watched the game, and I'm kind of like I'm not sure why I watched it, but I but I did I did want to see uh, uh, Katarina um, Macario right. who who played up top. They put her at number nine, and she scored a goal, and uh, she's she's going to be a really good player for them. But yeah, when you score ten goals in two games, it's hard to draw any conclusions. And again, I don't even know why you do. I don't know what purpose that serves, frankly, as a as a friendly to be able to see who can actually play because the, the competition is so inferior that the three of us could walk onto a pitch and look like we were, you know, top players in the world. So, yeah. Anyway, well, that's, a pro- that's a problem grill just because, uh, you know, the other countries are not as developed as far as their soccer infrastructure and in the women's game. Especially. Yeah. Well, Think the European them. countries are certainly, I've got, they've got the, she believes cup is coming up and they'll be actually playing, will be playing against really good competition in that. So that yeah. will be a good yeah. benchmark. I mean, well, I it's the U S women. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Sam. No, I think the U.S. women and, you know, in many ways, rightly so, see themselves as kind of the, the ultimate ambassadors for women's soccer worldwide. Right. And, you know, this is they used to go beat Spain 10 nothing, And now, you know, Spain's good. So, uh, I mean, you know, you you have to find a way to help these smaller countries, you know, in terms of women's soccer stature, you know, find their yeah. footing. And you, yeah, because it's, it it's, it's not fun game. from our standpoint, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, I also don't think, I think it gives them, like, it gives Columbia very good exposure, but it's not fun being on the receiving end of 4-0 and 6-0 and, like, basically yeah. not being able to get past midfield. Well, I think what's confusing for people is you look at Columbia, they have 
you know, a, a domestic league, great players, players that are playing in MLS, playing overseas, and you and they're a, you know, Hamas Rodriguez. They've got players. They've got you know, and so you yeah. think Colombia, great soccer nation, but not for women. You like Sam though, like what you said, they they do so much more than just the game itself. And so yeah, they did used to beat Spain ten nothing, and now you know Spain looks like they could turn it on the U.S. Now I think the U.S. is going to have a tougher time in the next cup because there is parity, more parity anyway. Um, you know, with women's soccer. So a couple of things, uh, MLS to open their season April 3rd. That's good news. And also the NCAA, the soccer, the spring season starts next week. Um, 12 men's conferences, um, even though the start of the 2021 uh, season is just around the corner. Uh, so, you know, so this is, everybody's just kind of doing what they can, um, you know, in American soccer domestically around the world, really. Um, one note that I wanted to ask about this Brian Reynolds uh stories have you seen him play at all uh sam no i've not you've not so no um you know obviously i wasn't that yeah. bored that i started watching fc dallas games like <laughs> Vega. yeah really but, no uh, they, they've got a good, good development no i know i know yeah. they really do um who watched the uh the wwf matchup between zlatan and lukaku anybody <laughs> I actually didn't see this. I only watched the second half of this game, um, but this is making, you know, huge headlines in Italy and I think all across Europe. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, they got in a really heated, you know, face-to-face -face argument with uh, some choice words being thrown out. Um, I won't repeat everything because it's pretty easy to find online. There's videos yeah. and lip readers of kind of put their put their spin on it. But um, apparently they really don't like each other from, you know, their Man United time Maybe together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there've been some people raising the prospect of this being racially motivated, but from what I've seen anyway, it just seems like two guys who really don't like Not. each other, you know, hurling some yeah. intense insults at one another, but I mean, oh. two, two just giants of, you know, European literally, soccer literally. and yeah, yeah, literally. And said, yeah, both play well, yeah, both play well. Well, that's the thing. Look, you know, the stuff that you say to each other as players is, uh, it goes back is, is as old as the game does itself. Like, but, uh, you know, it's always the racial element. So if, if nothing racist was said, I hope people don't play that card. Cause it's just yeah. ridiculous. Like someone once said, you know, when, um, what's it, Zidane headbutted, um, what's his name? Materazzi. Materazzi. There he, uh, they said, he said something about my mother. I'm like, I don't think I've played in a game where someone hasn't said something about my mother. It's just the way it's part of the game. Um, mm -hmm. but obviously, you know, a racist comment is, uh, goes to another level. Christian Erickson, uh, I don't know. He had a little something, a little glimmer of hope for Christian there. Yeah. So in this same game, Erickson scored a really nice free kick, um, in stoppage time came on with about 10 minutes to go and won the game for Inter. This was the Coppa Italia midweek game. Um, kind of the first positive thing he's done. Um, we've mm -hmm. mentioned before, he's been a bit of an enigma there. Conte doesn't really seem to like him too much. And in fact, after the game, he said, yeah, he's a good player, but he's too shy. So, uh, even this didn't, didn't really push him over the top, but, uh, it's good to see. I, I, I like Erickson quite a bit as a yeah. player. I hope he still figures it out at Inter, but there's been a lot of talk. He may be moving, uh, this January. So it hasn't happened yeah, yet. It so. hasn't been a good fit so far, but he's been in a funk, even his last couple of months. At Spurs. I mean, but he was, but he also showed how, what quality he had, you know, mm -hmm. with Spurs as well. So I, maybe he just needs to be in the right place, you know? Yeah. So, um, and we'll talk mostly about Lampard, maybe with, um, with Craig Burley, uh, yeah. I think, but also Euro 2020, um, they're still trying to have it. 
Yeah. Uh, well, so Euro 2020 in 2021. Uh, 21, I mean, yeah. No, well, it's good. It's technically still called Euro 2020. Right. In 20. Um, so there had, you know, the idea initially was to have this be a pan-European tournament for, uh, for the first time, um, which I think is kind of cool. And recently there'd been speculation that they might pare that down and just have it in one country. So there's not as much travel involved, which I think makes a lot of sense. Most a lot people of sense, would agree. Sure. But uh, it seems like UEFA are still determined to have this, uh, you know, continent-wide tournament. Happen. Follow the money, so gents. We'll Follow the money. Yeah. And your boy Papu Gomez, uh, he leaves. Oh yeah, I thought I thought this was worth mentioning, uh, just because he'd been linked with a move to MLS and FC Cincinnati, but he leaves Atalanta to join Sevilla officially. Uh, that just happened a few days ago. Uh, I very sad because he's been such a symbol of the Atalanta team the last few years. The captain. Um, that yeah. that said, he's not played for you know about the last three four weeks, and Atalanta have not really missed a beat. So that's good news, but yeah, sad to see him go and no one else. All right. Well, good stuff. So let's, let's um, let's save some time here for Craig Burley. When we come back on uh, over the ball, he's from ESPN FC, Scottish internationals. Always got some great stories. We all want to listen to him. All right, everybody listening to over the ball. We'll be back. Over the ball is brought to you by soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now and over the ball, he, uh, he's that face and uh, the knowledge at ESPN FC that we see uh, many nights a week. Um, yeah, and I got to tell you, uh, Craig Burley, the uh, former Chelsea guy, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, played for Derby, Celtic, 46 caps for for Scotland. Uh, welcome to Over the Ball, Burles. How are you? It's been a while. It has been a while, but you know, you're always on my mind, as uh, they say. <laughs> but um, yesterday, I'm reading the Twitter feed, and some people are going at you. They're like pretending that you stayed home from work because Chelsea lost or changed, you know, changed managers. It's kind of like, it's like you get a life, people, please. Well, it's irrational, isn't it? I mean, it's like, and I think they were actually serious. How come, and I think it was aimed at at Stevie Nicol and myself, but I think basically myself, and it was said, how come, how come whenever Liverpool lose and Man United win, uh, Burley's never on the show? I mean, how come, and I'm like, these people actually think that. <laughs> I mean, ESPN's a rather large company. They have they have people who are actually employed to schedule. It's not like they don't just right. go. Oh, we don't have any schedulers at ESPN. Just come in when you want. So it's like, yeah, but that's hey, that's social that's social media, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you guys do rock paper scissors every morning to see who shows up on the set at night. I love it. Yeah, I think all right. So I think Liverpool will. Yeah, they're definitely going to lose to Burnley at home. So let's take a day off next Thursday. <laughs> they believe me. Well, I would guarantee you that they were not, they were never players at any level, really. Generally, um, I think it's funny, but it's like, oh, Stevie Nichol must be devastated when Liverpool loses. It's like, yeah. um, I, I think he probably got over it. I, I think he's okay. Yeah, he just pulls another, he just pulls another Budweiser. You can just hear it going, <laughs> exactly. And he goes, oh well. But, uh, so yeah. uh so good so let's talk a little bit you were a chelsea player um grail just lives and breathes chelsea Do you know what, so- actually I, I gave up on twitter for a little bit kevin just to digress i gave up on it for a little bit uh for about 
I think it was July through to November, December. And, you know, one of the reasons I did it was because I'm not, I'm not a huge social media guy. I mean, I've got yeah. a few thousand followers. I don't, I don't hanker for a million or whatever people, some right. people tend to think that that's, that's the answer to everything. You know, if we have X amount of followers, I, I do it as an, inf- I use it as an information tool more than anything else to get mm-hmm. information about sport from, from England and across the U S and, and wherever and news. But I actually gave up on it for six months and it wasn't because of the trolls or, uh, or people just being rude or obnoxious. I actually gave up on it because of people in our business. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, explain yourself. Cause that's interesting. But well, I got a bit fed up of the, uh, the, the, the sorry, within the industry. I'm not, and I'm not just main TV, but uh, print journalism, you know, broadcasting, uh, radio, whatever. And it's it's the kind of retweeting of praise and the sort of uh, patting each other on the back, telling yeah, everybody right. publicly how good a job everybody's doing. And I kind of think, you know. Just just leave that alone. And I I got a little bit fed up of just watching people tell everybody how good they were and then them telling them back how good they were. And I thought, I don't really want to see this. It's a bit annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's an interesting point because I think with American soccer, football here, America, you know, European football here, uh, we have for so long been treated as a cult, uh, you know, sort of a tertiary sport off, off to the sides that we always sort of praise each other because we're sort of pied pipers of the game. But I think we've yeah. outgrown that in a way. It's here. It's not as big as it is in other places, but it's here. It's established. And I think the lack of self-criticism actually hurts us in the long run uh, with the product itself. Yeah, that wasn't an Americanism I was talking about there. That was a generalization from uh, yeah. from the Premier League people and, and the British broadcasters as well. I mean, right. there's a... There's a there's a, a small amount of it goes on, but it sort of seeps into your bloodstream and sort of starts to boil the blood. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, don't you think, Craig, there's almost like a wink-wink amongst people that if I say something good about you, you'll say something good about me, and it's just like this validation circle for people? It says, it's a, yeah, it's a sort of self-validation. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, I think we all appreciate what peop- other people do. We don't need to... I mean, at times there is maybe a, a reason to say, well, listen, that was a great piece or that was a great pod or that was a great interview. But, you know, it doesn't have to be on a, a regular sort of patting each other on the back daily basis, which I don't know. It's almost more annoying than somebody tweeting you, telling they, telling you that they, that they hope you die, which is, uh, <laughs> which is not unheard of. Well, the, the, the hard part is, I mean, you guys, let's say you're doing a game, ESPN is showing a game and yet you're commenting on the game and you have to say what a great game it's going to be to sort of build it up. And I think they do the same thing at NBC, you know, with how, you know, the writers writing about the Premier League work for NBC. So it's sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy there where they just sort of this... Uh, I think circle jerk was what uh, Grail was was moving towards saying. <laughs> but, uh, but I wasn't. I was not going there, Flynn. <laughs> so, so, anyway, but I, you know, I uh, we we always talk on this show a lot about the broadcasting and how you know it's sort of at its embryonic stage of development here in the United States, and so it's been sort of nice to see it change and and not change sometimes, which is is not so nice, but. I always ask a question to someone like yourself. You know, you're Scottish. You lived in England for years, played there. Um, has there been an influence on any American games? Uh, first of all, games that you watch and follow here that are, 
you know, football, basketball, baseball, or, and has that changed your broadcasting or your view of broadcasting in any way? What do you mean? Sorry. I'm not quite, man, that was a long ass question for, for no answer. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, the influences that you have, uh, have permeated you okay. here in the States, you think that's, is there any sport that you really like the way they do broadcasting here and has it changed the way you've broadcast soccer? Uh, I mean, I, I would say I haven't, I don't think I've, I, I think I don't, I haven't looked at anybody in broadcasting and thought that's what I want to do because I've always tried to just be who I am. And when I started in around 2004, when I finished playing in full-time broadcasting, I decided to, and I think I've told you this before, I decided to try and distance myself from, yeah. from, uh, from players, even if they were friends and former clubs, and I made a conscious decision that, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't that player anymore, and I wasn't the best buddies with every guy who was playing, and, and I was broadcasting. And I'm very aware of, and I've always been aware of that's the way I want to do it, and now there's a lot of people do it the other way, and I don't say that's the wrong way, but I don't agree with it. I mean, for instance, when I was broadcasting for a long period in the UK with John Champion as a commentator and a, you would call it a colour commentator here. Yeah. We would call it a co-commentator, which would be my role. Uh, I would rarely ever be seen pitch side or in a tunnel before a game, you know, when the players were coming out for warm-up and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I had to go down there <clears throat> because the uh, producer needed me. But more often than not, I went from broadcast truck to uh, gantry position or you'd call it booth position because yeah. I don't want to, I, my mindset is I don't want to be down there, uh, you know, fraternizing and chatting with players. And, and I think it's something they do do here in America a lot mm -hmm. is that they try and interact a lot with coaches right. and current players. And they go to, they go to meetings. And from my point of view, I, that's a very Americanism way of doing it. I, I don't, I see that as, What's the word? I see that as detrimental then to how I might be able to do my job if there's a big moment happens in that sport and it's controversial. And I'm now talking about a guy who I was texting or talking with on a weekly yeah. basis. Now, now my judgment is slightly clouded. Am I making sense? You like him. You yeah. like him. Because, don't I, like him. Yeah. because I like him or I don't like him. And I've been chatting to him. And it's difficult because it's difficult to extricate, extricate yourself from that. But I think when you go into broadcasting, it's beneficial if you can do that in the most part to allow you to have a more objective opinion on the other side. And, and that's what I try and do. They do it slightly differently here. And I mean, when, when the MLS guys used to go to, uh, when the US guys used to go in, uh, into meetings with Jurgen Klinsmann and all these other people, if, if I was part of those broadcasts, they wouldn't have let me within a mile of the campus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They say, you. you can't come for a meeting because you were saying this, 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 and this, and this, and this over our last game. And I would be like, yeah, because that's my job. And so I struggle to see that side of it and the benefits. Now, there may be benefits. I don't know. I struggle to see that. Well, you know, it also seems like one of the criticisms we had was that like during the Jurgen Klinsmann era, there was no criticism of him. Everybody tried to be his buddy and was like his cheerleader. And I think that's something you don't get overseas that you got here in the States, because I don't know whether we didn't have 
enough history or whatever it was, but we were like so grateful to have Jurgen Klinsmann that we never criticized him for a couple of years. And we, we wound up, you know, with a shit show. Um, well, you, yeah, you, you did. But then you also got, you, you know, you're also participating in World Cups and, and you know, was it the last 16, which, you know, against Belgium. So it, there's, there's, there's pros and cons, I suppose, to, to everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Grail? Yeah, Craig, uh, great having you. Uh, so uh, given what you just said, I'll keep your Chelsea career out of this question. But uh, since it's kind of the elephant in the room, from a, from a commentator standpoint, just curious what you think of the Frank Lampard sacking and, uh, you know, what went into it and just, uh, you know, from kind of a, from your past playing days, but also from where you sit now. Well, Grill, the, the one thing I would say is, that, you know, the, the, the football club, Chelsea Football Club has changed so much from my time that it's a different animal uh, because of ownership. So, uh, you know, in terms of Frank Lampard, I, I don't have an issue with his sacking. I, you know, in an ideal world, every manager, coach would get to the end of the season and then we reassess. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> but as you know, we don't live in that world. We live in a world where, particularly at Chelsea, they've had 14 full-time managers now in 18 years of Abramovich ownership. Now, I didn't, I didn't uh, study maths at school very well, but even I can figure that out. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's less than every 18 months, basically, if yeah. you do it that way. So he knew what he was going into. Uh, once they spent a lot of money in the summer, that was the pressure cranked up even more. Uh, bearing in mind they had a transfer ban the year before. Uh, so the, the bar was raised Hopes were high when they were, I think, top of the league around December the 5th. Mm-hmm. Took, a, took a second team, a second 11, basically. Think about it. Took a second 11, completely, complete B team to, to Seville. Beat Sevilla in the Champions League 4-0. And it was like, wow, you know, what a squad here. You know, the, the rotation that he could have. And then, you know, lost to Everton poorly and then went on a downward spiral. Two wins in eight. And then he was talking about not having the squad to make a challenge. And I think when the board heard this kind of rhetoric, wow, yeah, you know, they said, you know, okay, you know, well, Leicester can challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, Tottenham can hover around. You know, West Ham can be in the top four where they are at the moment. Are you telling me, with all these talented players, that we can't even challenge this year? In a year when Liverpool and Manchester City are probably going to be around at least 20 points worse off than the previous three seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you put it, when you put all that in the boiling point, I think there was a lot of questions been asked within the Chelsea hierarchy. That's interesting. Sam? Yeah, uh, this may be a very short answer based on what you said before, Craig, but I'm curious if you prepare any differently and are consciously kind of any different when you're doing a broadcast geared towards an American audience versus a British audience? Well, first and foremost, Sam, I don't prepare. (laughs) (laughs) We should have been in school together, Craig. (laughs) Can't visualize this, but I've got a little like uh, cigarette packet here that I just uh, write a few notes on. Well, the answer is I've always given that uh, given that notion off that I that I sort of do everything off the cuff. I don't I don't quite do that. I'm not I'm not one of these commentators who, you know, the guys who would be the play-by-play have a list as long as your arm normally with stats and that. that that's their job. 
The only thing I would say for the American audience, I may change rhetoric a little bit. Uh, you know, so I'll take out any terminology that might be British humour or UK ter terminology for something or Cockney rhyme or, yeah. you know, anything like that. And and so, and I'll call it soccer uh, rather than football. So, uh, but no, no, I, I, I don't change much uh, in terms of the way I would do it. I'm just mindful that the one thing I don't do, when I first came here, I was a little aggressive on Major League Soccer. Uh, and I sort of changed tact on that because I thought, well, there's no, this is a lose-lose because there's no point in doing that. And and also the fact I am uh, aware that, as Kevin said, either just at the start or before, the MLS has come a long way. Right. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. I mean, the the the, the money, the stadiums, the, particularly the stadiums and the, the fan experience is amazing. Uh, and I thought to myself when I first came in, I came in as some smart-ass UK guy, and I was like, oh, MLS is not very good. Let's talk about the Premier League. And I thought, hold on, that that's not... Let's take a step back here. That's not really the way to go about it, particularly when <laughs> your, your employer has uh, paid a lot of money for the rights to it as well. Yeah. So to, to build off that a little bit, um, as, as a Scot who played, obviously, in Scotland, too, I, you hear people say often that the MLS is kind of on a similar level to the Scottish Premier League, which is not a league that many of us know a lot about here. So I'm curious if you think that's an apt comparison and just kind of where, where you think MLS fits in that hierarchy. It's difficult to tell because, again, uh, from my time playing in Scotland and, and, and between sort of 97 and late 99 you know you had some of the greatest players in in europe playing in scottish football mm -hmm. you know uh and that that wasn't me by the way <laughs> before you, <came. laughs> you did all right you know, bro you did all right you know we signed uh paul lambert from borussia dortmund my uh scottish colleague we signed him to come and partner me in midfield and he'd won a champions league with dortmund a few months earlier playing uh, under Otmar Hitzfeld and you know we had Henrik Larsson up front who went on to be one of the greatest strikers uh, the Swede mm -hmm. in European football you know at Barcelona Man United Celtic partner in Ibrahimovic up front you know Rangers had Gascoigne and Brian Laudrup and all these Italian players and it was just an amazing time to be playing there and and that was a really really good standard you know of football back then it's changed in Scotland and the money's not quite there and so it would be a difficult answer for me. I think, I think ultimately teams like Celtic and Rangers would still probably be a little bit too strong mm -hmm. for some of the MLS sides, uh, particularly because they've been able to uh, have somewhat of a competitive spirit in European football. Uh, mm -hmm. Celtic have played a lot in the Champions League. Uh, Rangers have had a strong Europa League appearance in the last year or so. So it's a, it is a difficult comparison, uh, but it is one people always say. I think Stevie Nichol would be the best one to ask because he's managed Major League Soccer mm -hmm. and he knows the standard better than me, albeit the standard has probably improved yeah. from when Stevie Definitely was coaching. Improved. Yeah. 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 yeah, so speaking of uh, Scotland, Craig, you earned 46 caps, which is very impressive. I'm just curious. I think our listeners would love to hear, you know, what's the difference between suiting up for Scotland and suiting up for your club? 
Well, I won 46, Grail, and I could have, you know, there's a Hall of Fame in Scotland. There's a Hall of Fame everywhere these days. There's a Hall of Fame in Scotland. Yeah, you get a Hall of Fame for getting to school these days, don't you? Oh, I got to school. Okay, you're in the Hall of Fame. Here's a trophy and an orange. Here's a a trophy. Here's a badge. Oh, great. What does this entitle me to? Uh, I, uh, it's it's an interesting thing because they have a Hall of Fame for 50 caps, but as, uh, man. Dude. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I could have carried on. I actually retired. Okay. I retired. And one of the reasons I retired, because my body was starting to, uh, I'd played at the World Cup and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, the Scottish national team was taking a, a bit of a downturn. My career was coming to, the, to an end. So many injuries. And I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't have played in a game. My last game was Austria in Glasgow. And it was awful. <laughs> I think it was under Bertie Volks. And I, I, I played and I honestly... I couldn't move. And I went up to the, we lost. Uh, and I went up to the lounge after the game. <laughs> I'll never forget. You limped up My, there. I, I did. I got injured going up the stairs. That was kind of where it was. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, my dad said to me, I was I got in the lounge and there was family in that there and all the players and families and, you know, friends. Right. And my dad said to me, pack it in. <laughs> oh my god. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> That's serious. an honest he father. Went, he, yeah, he went, he says, pack it in, you've had your time. And I went, <laughs> but it's true, I, I had. And so I could have hung I, I could have hung around for to try and get an extra four caps. Uh, but as the as my one of my great colleagues said to me, uh Ali McCoist, who was a fantastic yeah. Rangers striker and broadcaster and and Scottish international, he said to me one day uh, a few years ago, "If that player or that player or that player gets over fifty caps, I'm handing my caps back to the Scottish Football Association <laughs> <laughs> because oh, they'll just ha- well, yeah, because they're hand they're handing caps out in the last few years. You know, like, I'll give you an example. Stevie Nichol was a I would say was a better player than me and played at a played at Liverpool at a higher level. And I think Stevie's got something like 20 caps. You know, yeah. they're giving caps out like confetti now. Uh, <laughs> so, so, and I, I have totally uh, gone off Grail's question, which I think was, what's the difference? Yeah, just the, emo- the emotional side. Yeah, well, I think the difference is, 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 is when you're playing for your club, there's always a game in four days to put it right. I think when you're playing for your country, not only do you have that responsibility of, of the football, soccer fraternity in that country, but you have the responsibility of a World Cup or a, a European Championship qualification, and you can't put, you can't write the wrong probably for another two months. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's, the, it's the expectation. And, and you learn to grow with that as you, you know, as you get to, 15, 20 caps, it, it sort of dilutes quite a lot. But I remember, I think it was my fifth cap, uh, playing in the final qualification game for Euro 96, which was the, the Euros that were held in England that were won by uh, a very good Germany side. And we qualified on the last day against Greece at Hamden Park in Glasgow, the old Hamden before it was renovated, 50 or 60,000 there. And this was it. And I was selected to play, and I think it was my first game at Hamden ever. And it was my fifth cap. 
And I don't remember ever being so nervous because qualification was on the line and I was a newbie. Now, yeah. had that had that game been in my 35th cap, that would have been a huge difference, but it was my fifth. Mm-hmm. And to have that and to 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 go up to Hamden where I'd watched, where I'd gone there as a boy and watched my uncle George play for Scotland, my dad's brother, George Burley. And I'd gone up to watch him play as a nine or ten year old. My dad would take me up and I would see the Joe Jordans and the Graham Soonis and all these great Kenny Dalglish, all these great Scottish players playing at Hamden, warming up in front of the bagpipes. And now I'm doing that. And yeah. I, I was like, oh, wow, wow, Amazing. this is... And, I, and, and somewhat that was diluted, you know, two or three years later. But as a youngster, it was very at the forefront of my mind, just, just what this meant to be playing at this level. And for your country. You know, so oh, you and guess, oh, and by the way, guess who scored the winner that day? He came off the bench as he usually did. He usually did at nil nil. Ali McCoyst, oh as God. we call him, as we call him, golden balls. You know what I mean? <laughs> golden balls. <laughs> yeah, call him golden balls. You know why? Because we all put the slog in. He came off the bench, scored the <laughs> header, run behind the goals, took all the celebrations, and what did the back page of the newspaper say to tomorrow? McCoyst, the hero. Again, coming in on the seventieth minute. Golden balls. <laughs> well, they, you know, you mentioned an, an interesting point. There are a lot more fixtures now for for you know yeah. for national teams, and you know they're trying to cap tie guys, and so yeah, people are coming in and out of the national team. I know for the, the U.S. national team, we talk about it each each time they play. I'm like, there's five or six guys. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they came from. I'm kind of like mm-hmm. they're, they're coming out of nowhere now. So there's just a lot more opportunity. So it's maybe not as uh, as meaningful yeah. until you there's, get close a lot to of ga- games. Yeah, there's a lot of games. There yeah, is. yeah. So, all right. So, um, the boys wanted to ask you. Well, you know, I want to ask you one quick question because when I, I think I watched you play in '98, you were in France, right? That's where you scored yes. uh, the World yeah, Cup goal. Yeah. I watched the under 14s play from a bunch of different countries, and the two teams who were head and shoulders above every other team. These are the, the young kids playing, were the Spanish and the Scottish. Yeah. They played so well, and I wondered why maybe that didn't translate into the into the pro ranks as much. You know, as many Scottish players, um, you know, did they not get the support after fifth, you know, fourteen, fifteen, or what's what's the deal with that? Do you have any idea? Yeah, lager, lager. They discovered women <laughs> and beer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, one word answer, and it makes sense to all of us. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's who can who can who can uh, who can operate. Whose body can function the best with uh, a copious amounts of lager in it at the highest level? In the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a head scratcher. It is, and, and you know, and I suppose you, you you know you guys would be the same. Uh, you know, when we when I would get home from school, the first thing I would do was throw show the, the the show the 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 rucksack as it is now. Show the satchel. Show the bag in the house, and I'd be in the back garden, or I'd be on the street with a football. All you day, know, right? Yeah. All day, every day, weekends. My mum and dad screaming at me to get in the house at nine o'clock at night because mm-hmm. it's getting dark and blah blah blah. And and I just think there's a whole uh, there's a whole social transition to a different way of life, and that has its effects. That has its effects too. It's not the only reason, but I'm sure there is. There's a hundred plus reasons. I don't. I don't know. And when you look at the the players Scotland in particular have produced over the years, way before I was playing, 
to think Scotland have never been out a, a group stage at a major tournament with some of the greatest players in European football in the 60s, 70s and 80s is, yeah. is really quite a head-scratcher. Yeah, a lot has a, a lot has changed. So, um, so you played for Celtic for a while. The guys wanted to know if you ever had any run-ins with Rod Stewart. No, have you ever seen the Rod Stewart video of doing the uh, Scottish Cup draw? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen, seen that, that no. Yeah, well, I know he's a he's a fanatical Scotland fan. So we were wondering if you'd ever bumped into him on, in his global travels to watch yes. you guys play. But Kevin, you, you've got to watch a YouTube video of, of Rod Stewart making the Scottish Cup draw, uh, which would be, as you know, Rangers Celtic Hearts. You have to yeah. watch this video because he's doing it with an old teammate of mine called Alan Stubbs. And it is live on the BBC, I believe, in Scotland. Yeah. And it's fair to say Rod has had a couple. <laughs> right. and, and it is ab for for the people listening to this. Please go and and uh, search into YouTube Rob Rod Stewart Scottish Cup draw, and I promise you, I promise you, you will piss yourself laughing at this because he doesn't give a stuff, and he's clearly he's clearly not thinking straight. But it's quite funny. Uh, so go and go and go and watch that, and tell tell me you don't laugh, and I'll I'll, I'll be. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is is Rod Stewart apparently made the song for our World Cup in '98, yeah, and he got it all wrong because the song was "Don't Come Home Too Soon." Well, we always come home too soon. We should have worked that out, but we were. I can't remember. Actually, this is this is a true story, Grail. This is, and I can't remember if it was before Euro '96 or France '98. I think it was France '98. So on yeah. both occasions, on both occasions, we came to the US to prepare for those major tournaments. And it's a small world because the first time we came in '96, we played uh, against the US in New Britain, I believe which yeah. is, you know, in the area I'm living, that, well, I'm not in New Britain, but I'm in the Hartford, central Connecticut area. And we stayed in a hotel in Hartford. Uh, and I didn't know, I mean, back in the day, I didn't know where Hartford was in the US. I didn't even, we just flew in and blah, blah. Right. And I can't believe it. Like, you know, what was that? 96, you know, and, you know, 20 odd years later, I'm living 20 minutes from this freaking ground. <laughs> right. What a, and I don't know why we played there, but but we did. And then two years later, we come back and we played against Columbia and a few other teams. And we we played against the US in Washington at the old, what do you call that? RFK. 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 Yeah. yeah. So we played the US there. And I think Brown, Craig Brown, the coach, made left a few of us out because we were going to be starting in, in France. The Cal Pastor too, by the way. Yeah. And by the way, it was the end of May, give or take a few days. And I'd never been to Washington before. And I didn't realize how humid it gets down there. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah, was all the, there, was, there was all these pale-skinned Scotsmen running about with sweat just <laughs> pouring out them. You know, like, but the interesting thing is, we were as we were training for, uh, as you call it camp. I'll call it camp because I try to be an American. I'll call it yeah. camp. We were in camp here. And I've no idea where it was. can't remember. It might have been Miami. Uh, and Rod Stewart came to train with us. Right. No, no. We're preparing for the world. We're preparing for the World Cup, <laughs> and Craig Brown invites Rod Stewart 
to come and train with us. And he actually joined in the, and he, he's a very, he's quite a thin and frail guy, you know, he's just, you know, he's not, he's not a I very mean, robust. Yeah. He's probably in his sixties then maybe, or late fifties, sixties, I would think. Oh, I'm forgetting about that. Yeah. So he yeah. was, yeah. When you, so he came and trained with us. Right. And, uh, he joined in and joined in what you call the five aside or the six aside, the little game. Right. He joined in, he was loving it and all that. And there was a camera crew there and somebody was getting something out of it, not us. And and uh, the, <laughs> the worrying thing was that that uh, he could have got another team. That was the worry. <laughs> no, no. I hope you guys were megging him and taking the piss out of him. You get it. So you get a good one with those guys. You deserve to get schooled. So we, we, so he joined in with us, and so we trained with him. And so that this is all very hazy because it's so long ago. This is this is this is many laggers under the bridge, right? <laughs> yeah. Ago, many. I remember. You know me, Kevin. So I, uh, but but to 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 tail on the back of that story, he then invited us to Madison Square Gardens because he was playing the concert there. Oh. So so we, I think I think we were live, I think we were actually I mean, based Jersey. in the Newark era. Yeah, yeah. Jersey, we were based yeah. in New Jersey. That's right. We were because we went out for a night out, a few of the boys, and we forgot where our hotel was, and we couldn't get back. <laughs> uh, that's another story. <laughs> and uh, so we went to we went to Madison Square Garden, and we got these sort of front row seats. And I'm you know I'm not a big music guy, but I listen to you a bit. But you know, yeah. uh, give me a bit of Mark Knopfler any day of the week. But there you go. And and yeah. so we're in the front row. And Rod's doing his thing, and all you know, the, I think the Americans love him. Is that am I right? In oh yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yep. yeah. So they're they're lapping it up, oh, and he's singing away, and blah blah blah. And he's getting towards the end, and then he finishes, and the stage at Madison Square Garden, he can broadcast all the way around. The you know the the, the crowd was surrounding him all the way around, like three sixty, yeah. and then at the end of it, he says, "Can I swear in this podcast? Because you can bleep it out." Oh, of course, yeah. So, yeah. so he said. Uh, Anyway, thanks for coming, folks. Hope you enjoyed the concert or whatever it was. One last song, and I would just like to invite the Scottish national soccer team onto the stage. So I'm like, fuck. So I'm like, shit. So so this is true. We have the whole team, all the backroom staff, the kit man, Hugh, who's about 96, and we're all doing the conga. This is serious. We're all doing the conga like in a chain all the way up onto this stage and Rod Stewart's got his Scotland top on at this point and we're all up on the stage dancing away and I, I don't know how many people it was I can I can just hear about 30,000 people in Madison Square Garden goes who the fucking hell are the Scottish soccer team <laughs> exactly exactly and they're probably wondering if that manager who's 96 years old is a player yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've paid two hundred pounds for a ticket here. Who the fuck are these guys on the stage? <laughs> exactly. So like, and he used to he used to kick soccer balls off. He always kicked the balls into the stands. Yeah. yeah. I wish I had a video of it. I wish you know. I wish somebody took a photo. But we were up there, and and he was singing away, and and all these people were just going, "Get me out of here!" You know, it was like I, I, so. That, that that was my Rod Stewart. I think it's before everybody had cell phones. Otherwise, there it would be up on video, and we'd be able to watch it like like him being oh, drunk. Absolutely. Scottish tough thing. You know what? In 98, uh, when I was in France, I was hanging out with the Scots and um, I had a blast. And first of all, the Scottish at a World Cup make it a lot more fun because they're just good times. They're, they're, they're running around, getting, ra- getting, uh, getting along with every other country out there. But I remember the first game you guys playing against Brazil and it was all about um, Ronaldo. And they were singing a song and it ended with 
Ronaldo is a fucking pedophile. And it was, <laughs> it was thousands of people in the street <laughs> singing it. It was hysterical. You know, gone away is the new bird, here to stay. Is it, whatever the words were that the Scots made up. But the last, the last sentence was, Ronaldo is a fucking pedophile. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, they've got to. They've always got to finish it with something that is really near the mark, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I tell you, I tell you, no, it is, and you know, they go. Obviously, Scotland, the Scottish fans are synonymous with the Celts and all the gear, and, yeah. and you know, we we wore. I, I didn't agree with it, but Craig Brown, our coach, wanted us to wear the Celts for the Brazil game. Okay. Uh, w- yeah, which was the <laughs> not not match. during the match, hopefully. Not, not during the match, although it may have, it, it may have looked that way, but. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I had a, I had a hard enough time chasing Roberto Carlos. I couldn't I couldn't have done it with a kilt and a sporran hanging around me as well, you know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, we wore kilts to when we went to the the Stade de France for that opening match of the World Cup, and so it was a you know I suppose the pictures are quite nice now. But one one memory kept talking about talking about the Scots and people say, you know, when they go away, the Scots fans are <clears throat> synonymous with oh, blah, blah. We were doing a game in Holland and Amsterdam, and I'll never get this picture out of my mind. You know when the Scots fans go away, they like to have a drink, right? Right. In fact, as the story goes, some of the fans that went to the Mexico World Cup in, when was that, 86? Yeah, that was the the Maradona. Yeah, Yeah. 86. Yeah. Yeah, uh, some of the Scottish yeah. fans, Scottish, some of the Scottish fans. This is a true story. Some of them never came back. <laughs> Dead never or came just... back. No, 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 no. They you just uh, lived in Mexico they, now. So they they said I had a story about somebody, and they said to the wife and a couple of kids, "Oh yeah, I'm going to Scotland. <clears throat> I'm going to Mexico support Scotland. Blah blah blah. Okay, make sure you look after the kids. Got there, did whatever." And then the wife got a phone call like a week after the World Cup and just said, hi, darling, this is uh, John. Uh, I've decided I'm not coming back. Goodbye. Adios. Adios. <laughs> Maria and I are on the, on the Cabo St. Lucas right now. So yeah, we're... yeah. You know, it's like, uh, I was in Amsterdam. I wasn't playing, I was broadcasting. And we were walking down this little cobbled street in Amsterdam. And it was about... 11 o'clock in the morning and Scotland were due to play against Holland the, the next day, I think it was. And down this cobble street on each side, there was all these little boutique shops and cafes. And inside this cafe was a couple of dear old little ladies sat right by the window. Right. Little low, little low window little table having their coffee and whatever it was, their croissants and blah, blah, blah. And right outside this window is a drunken Scotsman from the night before lying <laughs> on the cobbled street right. with the kilt with the in a position that it shouldn't be. Yep, up over his head. Up over his head. And he was a true Scotsman and a true no. Scotsman never wears anything under his kilt. And so here he is lying with the meat and two vegetables, hanging out in Amsterdam, whilst two old ladies sip coffee and people walk past. And I thought, oh my God, I hope these people don't think every Scottish person is like that. <laughs> oh, those ladies had another couple of cups of tea, I would imagine, watching that. It's been a long oh, yes, time for I- them. 
Phone the husband. I don't think we'll be home till later tonight. <laughs> my, my vegetables oh, my are out God. and uh, they're frozen. Well, but they have brilliant. a good time when they go. But the thing is, just briefly, Kevin, I think the thing yeah. is with the Scottish fans, uh, the one thing I would say is uh, I think when Scottish fans go away, yes, they get drunk and yes, not not them all, but you know, some of them, they go away, they have a good time. Yeah. They usually don't, they usually don't take a change of clothes. So they smell after three days, yeah, you yeah. know, because they've only, they've only got the kilt and the, the, the top. But they rarely ever cause trouble, right? Uh, and you know, and I think that's the, the key. They they go there and sometimes they'll be an embarrassment with the drink and blah blah. blah. But they yeah. go to have a good time. They know their team's not the best, but they rarely, rarely, not always, but rarely ever cause trouble. It's more about the occasion and enjoying the occasion. And and you know they've not had that for a while. And well, maybe with this pandemic, they're not going to have it in the Euros now this year. But who knows? Yeah. But now that Scotland have qualified. Well, that's a good point because you know when I was in France that year and hanging out with the Scottish you know fans, everybody loved them. I mean, everybody did, and everybody hated the English fans. And it was so interesting because it was uh, yeah. you know close but no cigar, you know, for them. So uh, so yeah, man. Yeah, it's so a complete, the Euros it's a complete difference. Place this summer, so because we'd love yeah. to love to see some football. As uh, you know, I think we've been lucky to watch as much as we've been watching during this pandemic. Uh, you know, because foot, you know, soccer was the first one out of the gate. You know, to, to sort of yeah, play. we we are, <clears throat> for soccer fans, they have been lucky because a lot of these uh, federations and and governing bodies have, have actually done a really good job uh, to get to roll it out again. And when it first started again without the fans, I thought it was an awkward watch, but you kind of got used to it a little bit now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 been good. Let's hope it continues, and let's hope the rollout of these vaccines is just going to make sure that all these sports can be because life without sports for a lot of people is. It's tough. It's been interesting, hasn't it, to watch it, you know, because you sort of make fun of it, sort of saying, get a life. But then when it's not there, you're like, wow, it was a part of my life, a big part. And yeah. it's interesting, the camaraderie with everyone else. And well, the, only thing I want, the only thing I want to say, if the quicker we can roll out these vaccines, the quicker you can get a haircut. I know. Look at this. I'm going with the COVID non-cut. That's what I'm going for. I'm it's jealous. I'm trying to re- well, the thing is, I'm trying to bring the mullet back, and I can just comb over my bald spot. That's what happens there. As Ali, Mc- as Ali, Mc- as, as Ali McCoy once said to me, if your hair gets any further back, you'll be combing your ass. <laughs> Craig Burley with a hairy ass. We appreciate you being on the show. Uh, thanks for joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, great work at ESPN FC, and uh, say hey to the boys for me. I will do. Cheers, guys. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Ah, that was great. Always love talking to Craig Burley. I miss him. I'm here in the West Coast now. I don't see him as often as I I'll, used to. But uh, I'll never, I'll, I'll, story, I'll never think of a kilt the same way after that story. <laughs> by the way, well, uh, that that I'm sure has happened That's many spectacular. Times. Yeah, and uh, they'll they'll never quite be the same. So uh, yeah, it's, good it's sad, sad a little bit to hear, you know, how the Scottish league in particular and the national team a little bit has declined in recent years. Because I, I I definitely remember right around the turn of the millennium, you know, when I started becoming aware of European soccer. I mean, Celtic yeah. and Rangers were legit big teams, and yeah, um, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of money. Well, everything's a lot of it's just money, towards you know, CPL, right? I mean. You know, yeah, and uh, right around that time, there was a lot of talk about you know Celtic and Rangers joining the English Premier League or finding yeah. some kind of way to do it. And it seems like because that didn't happen, um, you know, they they ended up sort of on the back burner. That would be along the lines of sort of a Super League, you know, starting yeah. to line up 
And so probably they fought that, uh, you know, because the domestic league would totally shrivel up in Scotland if those two teams left or three teams. Mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, you know, the, the, the Welsh domestic league, you know, the Irish one. What, what's uh, also been the challenging part of Scottish football is you've always had three teams or, or four teams that dominated. And then there was everybody else. I mean, not that that doesn't happen in the Premier League, but the drop-off was has always been so massive between those clubs that it was tough to kind of sustain, like, you know, a lot of good clubs. Although it works with PSG, you yeah. know. I mean, so, all right. So what do you got for us, uh, Sam? Do you have anything? Uh, any yeah, I got, yeah, I got a quiz. Um, so I, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but I was, and that's um, heading and its impact on games. I think it's because my friend asked me the other day, he's got a young kid and he was saying, you know, should I, I let them head the ball, you know, yeah. up to whatever age and uh, I say so 14. It, yeah. So anyway, um, I took a look on whoscored.com at aerial challenges and um, goals from headers across the top five European leagues for this season uh, and MLS for uh, last season, 2020. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if you guys can tell me what the average number of aerial challenges per game is across European leagues this season. An aerial challenge being you know, a header essentially. Did, well, does that mean two people or just people Close. heading the ball pure, collectively? I think it's just people heading the ball. My That's girlfriend how, says yeah, 22. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 40. <laughs> Kevin, uh, are you going 22? with your girlfriend? 22. Okay. It's actually 32.4. In oh, right, in, right in the middle. So yeah, you guys are she actually guys said 42. So we, I screwed we, up. We split. All right, so which of the top five European leagues do you think has the most aerial challenges? Per I'm going to say Premier League. <laughs> yeah, I, I would too, but are we going against uh, the cultural? I'm saying Premier League. It's always been a Premier head of league. league to me. Even though there are no English players in the Premier League, we'll go with it. What yeah. do we got? Sam? It's actually La Liga. So Whoa! 34.75. Wow. Uh, and what league do you think has the lowest average per game? Uh... I'm going to say Bundesliga. Syria. Correct. Syria with 28.27. Sit down. So Sit that's down, the Hallett. low end. Well, they're very meek. So, yeah. uh, all right. Defenders, sure. <laughs> Looking domestically, what is the MLS average per game? Remember the average across the top uh, five European leagues this season? I'd say 32.4. What was it for MLS? Wait, 32 you said was the average? 32.4 is the average gonna, for I'm, Europe right I'm now. I'm going to say... Right around the same. I'm going to say 28. I'm going to say more. I'm going to say, you know, 40. Say. Oh, okay, Grail, you're, you're going in the right direction. It's actually 27.29. So that's wow. lower than any of the top five European leagues. Not so giving my, my American brethren any do here, man. <laughs> that's surprising. Uh, it is surprising. So, okay, next question. What percentage of goals is scored by header across the top five European leagues? I'm going to say... I'm going to say 12. Yeah, I'd say 15. Okay, yeah, you're, you're in the right vicinity. It's 16.45%. Okay. Uh, so which, which league has the highest percentage of header goals? Well, you said Syria had the highest percentage of headers, didn't you? Or La, La Liga. Liga has the highest. I'm, then I'm going with La Liga. Actually, no, I'm, I'm changing. I'm going with Premier League. Yeah, I'm Premier League too. Okay, you guys are both right. It is the Premier yeah. League at 17.9%. Uh, what league has the lowest percentage of headed goals? Serie A because they're all very meek. You or they 
Kevin, an Italian defender, heels. Yeah, I'd say Syria. Okay, yeah, you're both right. It's Syria at fourteen point four percent. And then finally, what percentage of MLS goals is scored by header? I'm gonna say eight. Eight. Six. Okay. No, said. it's actually it's right around the average. So it's sixteen point five three. Oh, okay. Percent. Right. So there's not any kind of huge differences there um it was really interesting to look at these numbers just i didn't know how to turn this into a quiz which is some of the takeaways i mean there's a very clear correlation between you know the amount of headers your team the amount of challenges aerial challenges your team engages in and your level so the more you have the worse you are the least you have the better you are so if you look well, I'll just I'll show you the yeah. Premier League, um, for example. The two teams with the lowest number of headers per game are Man City and Man United, who are one and two. Okay. And the two teams with the most average headers per game are Sheffield United and Burnley. Because yeah. they're yeah, just banging, banging, banging the ball. Possession. Yeah. Banging so it. what's yeah. interesting, the only league where this didn't seem to hold true was in Serie A, where the team with the most headers per game, which is Verona at 46, which is way above the league average of 28, is actually having a really good year and they're in eighth place. So it seems like where there's less headers, if you can find a real discrepancy, you can you can do something with it. But I thought it was interesting, Sam, that I if I remember correctly, the 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 MLS had relatively a small number of all overall headers, but actually a fairly high percentage of goals by headers. Yes. So they're, so they're heading less, but they're heading with more quality, apparently. Yeah. Wow. So they're they're below the average. Yeah. They're below the European average in challenges per game, but they're right at the average in yeah, terms of that's goals interesting. scored. So and I thought one last little thing that was interesting of all these six leagues I looked at, uh the San Jose Earthquakes are the one team that did not score a header goal. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's because they've got Wando. Wando's that's, that's yeah, almost hard with his feet. Yeah. But there's also there's sort of like a Goldilocks zone you want to be in. If you're scoring more than like 25% of your goals by header, that's too much. Yeah. But you know, if you're not scoring, if you're scoring like less than five percent, you're probably not scoring enough overall anyway. So if well, you're kind of me, between yeah, like 10 and 20% seems to be the Goldilocks zone. That to me, Sam says a reliance on on restarts. Set pieces, if, yeah. Yeah, set pieces. Yeah. If you if you, if you're scoring a lot of goals from that, it's mostly corners and free kicks. Wow, Sam breaking yeah. it down with the nice uh, stuff, Sam. Money Great ball stuff. there, man. Lovely. I mean that that's just this year again. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, very trends, cool though. But uh, you know, some interesting stuff. Very right, cool. good stuff. What games are we watching this weekend, guys? Then we'll get going here. Uh, Grail, what do you got? Yeah, well, I got I got Spurs Liverpool today. Uh, so that's a little before the weekend, and then uh, we got Arsenal Man United on Saturday, and then obviously Sunday, U.S. Men's National Team against Trinidad and Tobago. Got to check that out. TNT. Yep. Yeah. Always All right. Fun. Um, I got Every a couple squad, games. So. Yeah, uh, I got RB Leipzig and against Leverkusen. That's number two versus number three in Bundesliga Saturday, twelve thirty, ESPN Plus. Atalanta Lazio Sunday, nine a.m. ESPN two is a good one. And then Barca against Athletic Bilbao Sunday at three on BN Sports. That's a rematch of the game Messi got sent off in. So oh, maybe uh, some tempers there. He's still suspended though. Is he? Uh, well, it was like it. it no, was, he was man, in the Super Copa. It was in the was. cup. So yeah. I don't yeah. know how that works. In I terms don't know of that it carries over into the right. league. Okay. Well, a lot of good football on this weekend. So a um, lot to enjoy, a lot to talk about next week on Over the Ball. Thanks for joining us, everybody. 
on OTB this week. I'd like to thank our guest from ESPN FC, Craig Burley. I'm Kevin Flynn. That's Sam Griswold. And that's Grail Hallett. Stop crying. Chelsea's over. It's all right. They're going to come back. They'll be in the top four. Watch. See you, everyone. <laughs>